Lord, we come before you and we ask you just to be with us as we look at this topic that is rarely preached on in church and that you will just help us to see what you would have us see from it. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and those are not the right notes. Your dog ate them, huh? And maybe he did. <laughs> Genesis 4. All right. Okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Genesis 4, chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. That's as far as we're reading. <laughs> um, the topic that I have picked today, and it was on, put on my heart three weeks ago, actually, is a topic that in 44 years I maybe have heard a message on maybe no more than five times. <laughs> uh, probably never in a preached message. I heard many times on the radio, we want to talk about, because this is a foundation uh, series, God created sex. <laughs> and I want to just bring that up because <laughs> in the church, we have problems with being influenced by the world. The world's view on sex is quite interesting because they use it as a manipulation tool in some cases, a tool to try to sell. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but it does, that's what they use. They, they will tell us that it is an innate desire that we cannot control. And we're hearing a lot about that when you start trying to talk about abstinence being taught in school, and, the, and they'll come back with you and say, well, they're going to they're gonna have sex anyway, so we, have to, we can't teach them abstinence. So they're already defeated in their mindset that, it, on this. And they will also say that it's just innate into us and these are some of these things are true it is innate in us but it can be controlled it can be put into position and I've lost all my scriptures that I was going to quote for this so this is going to be very interesting <laughs> I don't know what I did with my notes I mean, that's what this, that's what the comic said but I didn't think that didn't think he went to my Bible and ate it but we want to just look at this God has quite a bit to say about this topic if you want a definitive section on scripture on the negative side of it, Leviticus 17 is a very strong section on, the, on what's not allowed. God has a lot of things that he says is not allowed. Adultery is not allowed. And we all know that. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So all the things that we have in this world with we're sharing partners and all this other stuff is against God's teaching. God also tells us in Corinthians that fornication is a sin. All right? Fornication designed as having sex outside of marriage is not permissible. And again, we see this happening in our world all the time. M many of our young people don't even believe in marriage anymore because they believe in this whole idea of just, you know, having what they call serial monogamy. 
which means you only have one partner at any one time. Which means that when you get done with the one, you go to the next one, and you have one partner for, the, for a period of time, and then you go to the next one. It's kind of like the divorce mentality. You get done with your husband or wife, you divorce them and go get another one. Okay? That is not what God <laughs> has intended. And yet that is how our world is practicing. And we think about this. I'm going in the order. I picked this order in, in, on purpose because usually this is, this is how we fell as a nation. Divorce used to be virtually unheard of, down around 5% in our country. And then they decided that divorce would be made a lot easier, and we found that we could get divorced easy, and there wasn't the stigma attached to being divorced. And the next thing we know, we went into the 60s, and we get into this whole free love movement, just live together, no big deal. And then we dropped into the next section that follows into that, that God forbids homosexuality. And now we're, trying, now we're saying homosexuality is okay as a, as a world. And God says, no, it's a sin. Beyond homosexuality, and, and if you remember when the, all the stuff with the Supreme Court was coming on homosexual marriage, there were many voices out there where they were saying, as soon as homosexuality is accepted, every other form of perver perversions would be brought up. And if you read your papers right now, you've got people, there's a number of people wanting to sue that they could marry their dogs or their cats. Bestiality followed right on the heels of homosexuality, and God forbids bestiality. He forbids incest, pedophilia, and that's another one that they've heard people talking about wanting to, you know, well, if we can do all these others, then why can't we do this? The polygamists were right on the heels of it as well, saying, well, if there's no mooring to this, why can't we do all these different things? And this is one of the things that happens when we disconnect with God. When we disconnect from God's rules, what do you pin your rules on? And this is exactly what's happened in our country as we've decided that homosexuality is okay and that you have to be able to allow this and every other group is coming out of the woodwork. That everything God says is not allowed is saying we want to do this. You know, it's, it's what we should be doing. And if there's no rule, no, no rule to hook it to, we really have no place to say no. It has to be hooked to God's rules. And this was already stated. Many, many pastors had come out on the radio that I listened to and stated, as soon as they say yes to this, look out. And we've talked about it many times in our other classes that the reason that Israel was sent into the promised land and God told them to destroy all the people and all the animals was because of the sexual perversions of the Canaanites, the Jebusites, and all those other rites that are, were living in that land. <laughs> but they had been so far perverted that God said it's time to destroy them. You look at history and the reason that many governments have fallen and empires have fallen is because of the sin and, the sex, and it always leads to sexual perversion that brought them to their destruction. Egypt was that way at its end. It, Basically had no, no, no rules, no bounds. Greece ended up with no rules, no bounds. Rome ended up with no rules, no bounds in the, in the, in the sexual area. And God judges. God places a high premium on this. So what does he say to do? This one I happen to know is in 1 Corinthians. Because <laughs> so I spent a long time in the... Uh, 
verse chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning those things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every wife have her own husband. Let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife now has no power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband has no power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time that you give to yourself to fasting and praying, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not in your in incontency. So I'm going to stop there for the moment. What has God ordained for sex is within marriage? He brought Eve to Adam and said, this is your wife. And Adam added in. I don't know how Adam added in all the rest of the part, but he knew that they were one. And he said, we will leave mother and father, which I don't know again. How did he know mother and father? There hadn't been one. But he's already talking about his kids in the future, that they will leave mother and father and join in oneness. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply. Now, there is a group in Christianity and many groups over the years who have said that means that you can only have sex for procreation and in heaven help you if you enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. And that has been taught by many denominations over the years. And is a false treatment statement. Uh, I had many verses from the book of Psalms and uh, from Proverbs and Song of Solomon and very strongly depicting in in Proverbs we're told to enjoy the wife of your youth and be intoxicated with her beauty and her and her and her breast is what it says <laughs> uh, you know it tells us in Song of Solomon to in, enjoy one another and they called each other and you look at the language of Song of Solomon it's a very interesting book to read and one day we'll be teaching it in one of the studies <laughs> But it's a very powerful book. It's so powerful in its pictures that the Hebrew, Hebrew said that the, the boy had to be at least 12, which was a, a legal man, before he could read it because of how descriptive it is. And I'm not sure if you've all read Song of Solomon, but it's a very descriptive book of marriage. And it's not overly descriptive, but it is very, very clear that the passion that was in, in brought into this. And we bring this out because... The world has overtaken this whole area so much, and churches don't talk about sex very often, except to say, don't, don't do these things. But God knows that he built in us. He created us for that desire, mostly for procreation, but also for enjoyment. And this is the point that he's bringing out. It is not wrong outside of the bounds that God put around it. He put it within marriage. Not outside of marriage, not with anybody that you want to just go and hook up with. That's our new term in this day and age, the hookup society. Uh, go to bed with anybody and any, you know, at any time and anywhere. It's no big deal to them. And we see God's point of view on this is totally different than ours at the world. And I, I'm not sure it means much in this group. But I'm also thinking that God put it more for the Internet audience than than this group so much, but it is a thing that needs to be talked about. And Christians need to be able to. One of the problems I see in Christian churches is that there are many topics that we've kind of put off the shelf for teenagers. And it's been interesting over the years, teenagers, young, young kids, they'll come up and they'll ask some kind of question like, well, how do we know there's a God? 
I can tell you, the first time I saw a teacher been asked that question, they, the teacher just about had a heart attack and said, well, how could you not believe there's a God? And I stepped in very quickly <laughs> to teach that these are why we know there's a God. But you know, unfortunately, that teacher's response has not been uncommon in my lifetime in the churches. If there's a question that strikes at a core truth that people say you've got to believe, I've seen more people just react like, well, how can you ask that question? How, how can you not believe the Bible is true? Or how can you not believe there's a God? Or, and you know what we do with our kids and our teenagers and our, and our, and our own grandchildren, children maybe? We teach them there are certain questions you can't ask in a church. That's a dangerous place to be. This is not a book of history. It's not a book of archaeology. It's not a book of science. No, those are different notes. But where it touches on any of those topics, it is true. It, there's notes all over in here, but they're just not the right notes. Where it touches on any of those things, it is true, always. When it talks about a historical or an archaeological event, the greatest news is these archaeologists will go dig where the Bible tells them it happened. And lo and behold, they find exactly what the Bible says they're going to find there. Where the Bible touches on science, it is accurate. Job is a great place where God talks about different scientific activities that we didn't discover or rediscover probably until recent years, two or three hundred years. And yet you look at the Bible and there it is. You know, it didn't call it the hydrolysis, uh, hydro, hydraulic system, but uh, it talked about how weather rain fell and went back to the sky. It talked about the nitrogen cycle where you die and you re replenish the earth with nutrients and get reused again. It talks about the currents of the sea, which is how the person who de developed that uh, currents of the sea, he goes, I wonder if there are paths of the seas. And he went out and he looked for them. And sure enough, he found them. We, we look at the Bible where it talks about things. God knows what he's talking about. And we look at some of this research on all the activities, sexual activity, and they're not having joy in all the sexual perversions. All the studies show that they're not happy. And then they look at people that are married and stay in married, and they report that they are happy in that relationship because that's the relationship God created it to be happy in. Any other relationship does not fit, does not complete. And again, we had all these different sites I wanted to make, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. And I just wanted to bring this up because we want to make sure that God is mentioned in all areas of our life. He wants to be part of all areas. areas. There's no place where God says, okay, uh, you can forget about me for this period of your life. And we as humans are good about that. You know, men especially have been really good. I'm, I'm Christian on Sunday morning, but when I get to work, uh, God, you stay at home, and I'm going to be whatever it takes to be good at work. And that might mean lying to people and cheating people. And we see, I've seen Christian men who do that kind of stuff. They'll lie to the, to the customer and tell them whatever they want to hear, just like the rest of the world does, because it is business. And they don't bring God into their business. We'll see coaches sometimes with their, with their kids, teaching their kids to do things they shouldn't be doing, because it has nothing to do with religion. This is, this is sports. 
you know, you got to be mean and nasty and, and bend the rules as far as the referee or, will let you. I ran into one of those coaches one time when I was refereeing in soccer. And she used to get so mad at me because she was in our division and I refed a lot of her games. And I told her, you better teach these girls to play correctly because I'm calling them penalties that you're telling them to make. She goes, well, you can't do that. You're supposed to. I go, no, I follow the rules. And you're teaching them to hurt people, and that's not going to happen. But we tend to bend out these things and put God to the side of much of what we do. God wants to be part of everything we do 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. He wants to be part of who we are. And you know, the funny thing is, the world expects that too when they look at us. Have you heard anybody talk about how hypocritical Christians are? Because we tend to, to put God on the side as soon as we walk out the door. Okay, God, you stay, you stay there with my Bible. Wherever I put my Bible, you stay, and I'll, and I'll do whatever I want the rest of the week. And we tend to think we can get away with it sometimes as Christians. And the world's looking at us and saying, I thought you were a Christian. You just lied to that person. You were just... You just stole this, this thing. You just did whatever it is. You just gossiped about these people. You're supposed to love them, I thought. And they look at us and say, who are you? What, what is this God? Many teenagers leave the church, and I've listened to them. I've taught teenagers a lot over the years. And one of the things you hear from the teenagers, you know, it's not real. Mom and dad don't believe it. They drag us to church. They try to force these Christian views down our throats, but they don't live like Christians. They were cheating on their income tax. I heard them talking about it. They were, they were cheating on this. They lied to this person. They told, you know, they told this person that they were busy that day and then talked about how they had, could have helped them if they wanted to. We need to be careful of the picture that we're showing to kids. They need to see that Christ is real, that Christ is Lord. 24-7, that he is who we're following. Because if we're going to really mean that he is Lord, then we need to follow him as Lord. And that is a term that we in America have a hard time with. Because when we have somebody over us, if we don't like them, we, we, we vote them out of office every two, four, or six years. We vote them out of the office if we don't like them, or at least we try to. <laughs> Uh, we don't like our boss, we just leave the, leave, the, leave the job and go find another boss that eventually we'll like. We don't like their situation we're in, we leave. And we, we are a group in America that tend to flee more often than stand. And Christ says, I'm Lord. I want you to stand. We need to learn to stand because it's going to get hard for Christians in the very near future, I think, that we're going to be challenged is he Lord in all of our lives? Or, can, or when we're challenged, are we going to say, oh, I don't know Jesus. Nope, not him. I, uh, nothing about it. I've just been going to that church, but no, I don't, I, don't, I don't really believe it. How easy that will be. How easy that will be when it, if we're not taking a stand when it's easy. If we can't take a stand today when it's fairly easy to be a Christian, you will not take a stand when it's hard. It's just the way it is. If we can't make a decision that I'm going to stand for Christ no matter what, when it comes down to us saying that I'm not going to support homosexuality in spite of what the government says and we end up being losing a job because of it, being looked down on by our friends, 
If we can't do that when that's all that is at stake, we're not going to do it when our life is at stake. So I want to challenge us. Is God the center of everything that we do? If he's not, get him there. Get him there. Ask him to be there. Surrender your life. Let him crucify your flesh. Because he needs to be the center of who you are all the time. If you're in a job where it's, where it's common for people to, be, to lie to, then you need to get, either get out of that job or be honest within that job. You can be honest within a job where people are dishonest. I've been a car salesman at one point in time. I, I treated them with honesty. I treated them with honesty. It didn't, didn't make great sales like the rest of them, but I made a living on it for a while. But we need to be in this place how much are we willing to stand for God? Is there any area of our life that we don't stand for with God? From the one we were talking about, from sex all the way to being truthful and, and non-hypocritical to uh, spending our time in the Word and listening to God and being honest. He called us to teach others and make disciples. Are we telling others about Jesus with the Gospel? Are we making disciples? In the bulletin today, I was asked, because I was asked earlier this week, I've put a couple of ways to be able to share the gospel. Do you need to follow every one of those letter by letter? No, I don't follow any of them letter by letter, but I put in several that I've heard over the years to give you a place to start. Once they get saved, the job is not over. It has just begun. Our job at that point is to get them into a good church, spend time with them, teach them what we know. You all have sat in church for a while now. You know things about God and the Bible. You definitely know more than most people that are just getting saved when you talk to them. Unless for some reason they grew up in church. But most people who just get saved don't know much about the Bible. And even those who grew up in church don't understand what it is that they were taught all those years. Our job is to just share what we know. Then get them under, get them under a good Bible teaching church where they can have another person help teach them. And even then, we want to keep working with them. Just because you know, we, we don't turn over our children to people and just leave them in their care if, we're, if we really care about our children. Now, I know there's a group of people, you know, there are people that just dump them into with a nanny or a daycare or whatever and say, well, you just, te you just teach them whatever it is you want to teach. I have problems with that. I have problems with the public school system with what they're teaching our kids. And if we had more kids in this town and we were a bigger enough church, I would say we need a Christian Bible a school for the kids so they can be taught correctly on all points. But we don't have a lot of kids and we don't have a very large church and it's pretty expensive to have a school. But if we had the children, we'd, I'd find a way for us to do it because I think it's that important. How are we training up? What are we filling our minds with? Are we filling our minds with the ways of the world? Or are we filling our minds with the ways of the scriptures? This is critical for us. The world is going to be out there telling us all kinds of wrong stuff. All kinds of wrong stuff. And I think if you would take a minute to think about what the Bible says about things and what you truly believe about it, you might find that the world has influenced you in more ways than you think. One that comes to my mind is God hates divorce. And we may say, I, God, I know you hate divorce. I'm against divorce. 
Then you're talking to a good friend who's having a really hard time in their marriage and everything seems to be going wrong and your first words out of your mouth is you probably should get rid of that person. We do this all the time. In, in every category we tend to do this. Do we believe what we believe? What, what comes out is when you share with others on what they should do, you're going to share exactly what you really believe. And it's easy to say, this is what I believe. It's a little harder to do what you believe. And that's why when I look at some of these people that are, have lost jobs or even lost their businesses, you know, over some of these homosexual marriages and stuff, uh, uh, that they've said, no, I'm not going to bake the cake. I'm not going to take pictures. You know, the cake, I have a little more problem with. The picture one, I definitely understand them not being in there if they don't. But when they take a stand... They're taking a stand on what God wants. Are we ready to make those kind of stands? That's my challenge for us as a church. Let's learn to apply what God says and stand by it, even if it causes great pain. And it might cause great pain. The early church gave their life for, their, for what they believed. And, and right now in our world... There are more martyrs every year than there were in the first century combined. People are dying for Christ daily in this world. We in America are so fortunate that we're not facing that discrimination yet. It's coming. It's coming quickly. We're seeing all of these problems that are coming our way. We need to be ready to make a stand. And we need to start thinking about it now. As I tell somebody, the time to decide what you're going to decide is not when you're in the middle of the temptation or the trial. That's too late. If you're somebody who says, I'm not going to drink, and you don't make a real strong stance on it, and you're standing there with your friends uh, all drinking, that's not the time to be thinking about whether you should be taking the drink or not. It's too late. You're going to be swayed by your friends. We need to make our decisions. God, I need your help. I want to make the decisions on how I'm going to live for you, and I need to make them now. Because if you don't make it now, you won't make it, you won't make the right one when the pressure's on. This is something that's very important as I'm looking at this. How are we going to stand up for God? Number one is going to take his power. And it's going to take his grace. But if you haven't started thinking through how you're going to stand. His power and grace is not going to be there when you need it. Because you haven't made, decided, I'm going to follow God. He is my Lord. He is my master. He is, my, he is the one I'm going to serve no matter what. And things are going to get interesting in this world very quick. We already see this. We have a government that's on the verge of making all the wrong decisions, and this election is going to be critical. And I know neither candidate's all that great. <laughs> But one is definitely going to take us the wrong way, and one is at least going to take us the wrong way slower. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't put much trust in the other, either candidate. Uh, and it's been true for many decades now. We've got one side that takes us very quickly down the road, and we've got one side that takes us very slowly down the road. But they're both going down the same path. They're both going away from God. We need to be ready for the time when no matter who's elected, we've gone too far down the road 
without a revival. We need to be praying for a revival in this country because that's the only thing that's going to change it. A great awakening as we've already had three of in this country. We've had three great awakenings in this country that have turned this country to God. And we need a fourth one, but I'm hoping, but I think we're so close to the end it may not happen. But pray for it. I would love to see it happen. I don't really expect it to happen, but I would love to see it. But our only hope for this country and this world is a awakening with the God of the universe, a repentance. And he says that it starts in the church. We need to pray for it. We need to confess the sins of this nation. And as Joseph, Daniel, Nehemiah, all the great prophets who had good lives, they, said they brought themselves into it. God, we have sinned. And in many cases, it is, it is laid on the, the steps of the church. The, the church stopped preaching about the moral context in many of these cases. And, it, and the world has gone down. It's in the nature of people. People are born sinners, contrary to what the world wants to tell us. The world wants to tell us we're born good and we get taught to be sinners. And we already talked about that in the, in the past here. But we know that God says we're sinners. Why do we sin? Because we are sinners. <laughs> Plain and simple. And the statement that I keep making is I'm not surprised when a sinner sins because that's who they are. And I don't care whether they're a lost sinner or a Christian sinner. When they sin, I'm not surprised. I'm actually more surprised when people obey God. Because that's against nature, even though it's him inside them of being obedient. But we need to be at this place where we recognize God is master. He is sovereign. The greatest peace that we can have is to know that God is in control. Sharing with people the other day, I don't worry about a lot of things. Why? Because I know God's in control. I know he's promised nothing is going to come that, 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 I, that he and I can't handle. He also has said that all things work together for good. So why worry? There's nothing to worry about because he's, he's totally in control. And when, th when bad things happen that I don't understand, I basically turn to God and I say, God, I don't understand how this can be for good, but you've, pro you've pr promised that it's for good. And I'm just going to wait to see how it's for good, and I hold on to that promise. And as I've told people, when somebody's going through a hard time, I'm not, I learned my lesson the hard way. I do not tell them that all things work together for good when they're in the middle of the uh, problem. <laughs> Because if they don't believe that it's all going to work together for good before they enter into the problem, they're not going to believe his word in the middle of the problem. <laughs> I, learned, I learned that uh, the hard way when somebody looked at me and said, I'll get out of here with all that Bible stuff, and they were a Christian. <laughs> so this is why I say we need to make our decisions before we're in the place where the decision needs to be made. We need to decide that God's in control of everything and everything is going to be for good because... When we get into the problem, that's not the time to start trying to quote those verses to ourselves because we're not going to believe them in, in the midst of it. We can't be in the middle of something and say that God is against fornication and then not have our mind up that we're, not, we're going to believe that God's against it. Because when you're presented with the, the chance for committing fornication or adultery, it's very easy to rationalize it. I have met many, especially senior adults, because it surprised me, who are living together as if they're married without getting married because they don't want to lose their Social Security money. 
They've rationalized why they're going to do it. It's, it's good. I've got to do this because otherwise we'll be broke and God can't, God can't pay our bills if we don't provide for ourselves. It's easy to rationalize away any sin. When I was a workaholic in my younger days, I rationalized it away. I'm, I'm supplying for my family. I have to do this so that my family can be taken care of. Never mind that I don't see my family. You know, they're in bed when I go to, go to work and they're in bed when I get home. You know, but I'm, I'm giving them all that they need, except for me. We rationalize all the time. We rationalize all the time. People get into an adulterous an affair. Most of them aren't going out looking for an adulterous affair. They're just not feeling that they're understood. They're not getting what they want. And this person's nice to them and, and kind to them. And the next thing they know, they'll say, I fell into this. Rationalizing. Rationalizing the reasons why God is not right. <laughs> and God is always right. And we need to keep that in mind. Anytime we start trying to rationalize away what God says... We better start getting our mind back around the fact that God is right. And truly believe he is right. He is correct. He is, he is the one doing it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to share, to look at what you have on, on these terms. Lord, if there's anybody who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that you get hold of their hearts. Let them see that they are a sinner. Let them see that they need you and only you because they can't work their way to heaven. And I ask, ask you to come into their heart and save you. And then contact Christian brother or sister to help them get started. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.